Hi, and welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. My name is Cassandra Wilder, and I'm a naturopathic doctor and a women's cyclical health expert. This podcast is a space where we demystify all of the bad hormone advice we've been given and instead get back down to the foundations. Your dream of regular, pain-free periods, balanced hormones, and vibrant energy is within reach. Join me and other incredible experts here every single Monday for conversations that are sure to be life-changing. Let's get started. Hey, my beautiful friends. I am so happy to be back on the Cyclical Podcast with all of you. And I've got a really spicy, saucy episode for everyone today. So I've got a few things to share before we can get into today's episode. But I was so lucky to interview the incredible Sai Makara, who is a radical birth keeper and such a proponent for women really knowing their rights and what they choose to consent to while giving birth. Saima and I are both huge proponents for informed consent, and all of you that have followed me for a while or been a fan of this podcast for a long time, you know how important that is to me in anything, whether that's birth control, whether that's medication, a supplement, um, and especially birth. I believe that you have the right to know all of your options so that you can make an informed decision. And the sad truth is that for many of us, We only see half of the story. We see things that are pro-interventions. We see things that say epidurals and episiotomies, Pitocin, induction, these things are always really safe and really necessary. And while they are at times, is that the full truth? And are the women who are partaking in these interventions really aware of the long-term risks that come with them? From the many women that I've talked to over the years and the tragically high number of women who have experienced severe birth trauma, it to me sounds like most women did not know that they had choices while they were giving birth, felt like they had to abide by their doctor's rules, couldn't really rock the boat, couldn't really say no to certain things that maybe they really didn't want, and simply felt like in a time of real need, they didn't know how to advocate for themselves or the risks of the options that were being presented. And that's why this episode is so important. I want to make it really clear for any mama that's listening to this episode, if you have children, however you birthed them was perfect and valid. So please, please do not listen to this episode and think that I'm saying, you got an epidural. Oh my gosh, you were so uninformed. That is never what I'm saying. Instead, I hope that you can hear this with an open mind and an open heart and just see this as us asking questions. It is possible that in some of this, you will feel like you were forced to do certain things, whether you worked with an OB or a midwife, and you may feel like you weren't fully informed, and that's valid. But please know that no one here is judging how you birthed, and nobody here is is, uh, trying to act like only certain versions of birth are good enough. So... I know some people in the natural birth space partake in conversations like that, and I do not. So let's just get that out of the way. However you birthed your babies is perfect and valid, and I so hope you had a beautiful, healthy baby. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. But this episode is also for women that are pregnant, for women that want to be moms, for women that are having their third, fourth, fifth babies, and maybe feel like the medical system did fail them and may now even want to explore other options like birthing in a birth center or birthing at home and have kind of that new opportunity to do it differently and hopefully more so by their terms and how they choose to birth and how they want to be advocated for. In our episode today, we have so much to talk about. We talk about birth interventions like epidurals, induction, pitocin, cervical checks, ultrasounds, so much and we simply talk about the side to them that i feel like few people talk about and so if it resonates with you awesome and if it doesn't that's okay just leave it behind we also talk about things uh, to consider when you're selecting a doctor or a midwife considerations around emergencies in birth things that are actually worthwhile to invest in for a healthy birth and a healthy baby how to ditch the nice girl mentality in pregnancy and birth you know have you ever thought like well My doctor says I can't do that and I don't want to offend them. Mm -mm, We're going to delete that from your mind. We'll talk about the key of bringing the village back, bringing support back, helping women through the transition from maiden into mother. We touch a little bit on breastfeeding. And yeah, as you can see, there's just a lot to this episode. And I really genuinely hope you get something from it and enjoy listening. 
Hi, Saima. It is such an honor to welcome you to the Cyclical Podcast. Ah, I'm so excited. Yay, me too. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, my pleasure. I know today's episode is going to be um, down the rabbit hole, we could say. <laughs> and uh, I know this will fall into the hands of women that need it or simply don't know what options they really have when it comes to birth. So thank you for being here to share your wisdom. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. And so, so important that women have choices and know what options are out there. Exactly. Because in the mainstream narrative, you have no idea you, at least most of my life anyway, until my sister was the quote weird one who was like, I'm going to do a home birth. I literally thought like the hospital was the only option that there was. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? It's just so normal. And the majority of women are going to hospital to give birth. And why is that? <laughs> right. Right. And are there other options that could be better or safer even? That's yeah. That's what we're going to get into today. Um, in your bio, I love that you call yourself doula turned radical birth keeper. I want to know what does that mean? And how did you get to this point where you are so passionate about intervention free births? Oh, it's a long old story. <laughs> but I'll try and wrap it up. Um, yeah, it was it was a bit of a calling for me to birth work. I supported a friend of mine back in 2016. And I just found it so rewarding to walk with her in her pregnancy and in her birth and postpartum. And I was suddenly thinking, I'm going to become a midwife. This is what I'm, I'm going to be. I'm going to go back to university. I'm going to study and learn all this stuff about birth. And then I'm going to yeah, be a midwife. And then I, as I started to do my research, I realized sort of what, what that involved um, and was that something I really wanted to, to get into. Um, and I, I heard about becoming a doula instead, which sounded like a lot more holistic and that I could work with women one to one and I could be with them, you know, consistently through their pregnancy, birth and postpartum, whereas midwifery in the UK is a little bit more uh scattered where you might you might see multiple midwives rather than having that one-to-one -one support throughout mm. um and there was a whole a whole load of other things to think about like student loans and you know being then committed to a system and processes and all these things I really wanted to be free and I found that through becoming a doula that could be a possibility but what I didn't realize by becoming a doula was that being a doula is for the main part, supporting hospital births, which at the time I thought was okay. And I was like, the whole doula industry is really based around like, let's support women in their decisions, whatever that decision is. If they want to do X, Y, and Z, if they want to have an epidural, if they want to have a cesarean, let's just support them, whatever, even if that maybe isn't the best thing. And it, as, as, I, as I started to witness hospital birth and just the cascade of intervention that seemed to happen at almost every birth I was at, you know, even, even though I was there, I was the doula, I, you know, supposedly by having me there, it was going to help. It just seemed to always go the same way with various medical interventions. And I just started to think, why is it that seemingly no woman can give birth without help in inverted commas? Mm -hmm. And how how do we all exist right now? You know, where there's been millennia without medicine, how how is it that we managed to come out, you know, the humanity? And then I stumbled upon the world of free birth and started to hear stories of women just giving birth at home with no one there and it just happening. And a light bulb went off for me and I was like, yes, that's it. That is how we're supposed to do it and I just started to think about you know what, we, what we've learned about mammals and that we we are mammals we're not anything special or different to, to any other animal out there who go into a little private place on their own for the most part and you know have their kittens or their lamb or you know it's just so awesome when when that's what happens right and no one's involved and it's just beautiful and women can do that too and it just made sense for me straight away I think for some women they're like what how no like they go through a whole process of like 
that can't be right because of all of the indoctrination that's taken place since. But I think because I'd seen a variety of births several years into my doula career, I could see that women at home experienced a very different kind of birth to women in hospital. So women in hospital were constantly awake and alert and looking around and being asked questions and all of these things that really aren't supporting birth. And then at home, women, for the most part, got to be in their private space and they got to go into their zone. And it was like watching women in in a sort of transcendent state, really, versus hospital where it was all emergency and trauma. And they just, yeah, it was just, it came together in this climax of, wow. And then I started to look into this and I wanted to, to start doing this work. And I got to witness these births outside the system with no medical attendance there. So the woman can truly be and truly just follow her body. And birth just works when we let it. So that's, yeah. That's a little bit. <laughs> I could talk a lot more about it. <laughs> you, oh, you have such a beautiful story. And like you said, the vast majority of women don't need all of the interventions that just become very commonplace in settings like a hospital. Plus, like you said, add in the fact that you're having someone check your cervix over and over and you have a Doppler strapped to you and you have random people that you don't know that you don't have a relationship with, like random nurses and doctors and students popping in and out. There's zero sacredness in that space. And how could any woman honestly really feel safe enough to go into her process and birth? I love mm. the huge shift that you've made. And I also just like though, it sounds like even from the beginning, you had suspicions of like, something about this doesn't even feel right. Something here feels like against our own biology. Yeah, I think there was always for me, there's always been a big trust in the birth process for as long as I can remember. I've just loved birth and always just thought, wow, women are so amazing. And they get to experience this amazing thing. I've never had any negativity around birth. And whenever I said to people, oh, I work in birth. And they're like, oh, isn't that really like dramatic and scary? And I'm like, no, it's, oh, no. it's incredible. <laughs> and it's just like to see a woman go through that transformation is such an honor. Mm-hmm. And women are so powerful in, in that time. And I can understand why people get scared because they're not used to seeing women in their power. And actually the systems that are in place don't want women to be powerful and don't want women to know what they're capable of. Yeah, yeah, totally. And yeah, birth is so taboo. And it's kind of, yeah, tucked away into the hospital. And yeah, even until I saw my sister give birth in such a serene, peaceful setting, I just was like, oh, you're not screaming. And you're not (laughs) like punching your husband or, you know, these weird things that only happen in movies, like you're moaning and you're rocking and then this baby just like beautifully slides out and I could not believe that that's what birth was Mm. I felt so misled for my entire life yeah birth is actually not the dramatic scene that we (laughs) think it might be from what we see on tv and it is it just unfolds so differently for for different people but it's perfect in in the way that it does you know for some women they are they are very vocal and they're very wild and for others they're very peaceful and for others they're very out of body mm-hmm. and it can be all of these incredible things but in hospital you don't get to to do any of those things because you're very much c- considering other people you're noticing what's going on around you and you get sort of go into that good girl that we've been trained to be versus your wild woman or your you know peaceful um, persona that you might have where you can be calm and at yes. one with the whole experience yes that's such a big thing you just touched on which is the good girl and the being nice and I can't tell you how often women share with me their traumatic birth stories and they're like I just didn't even know that I could say no to these things I didn't know that I could tell my doctor if you won't let me not be on my back if you won't let me move around the room or if you won't let me 
you know, do blank, then I'm not going to work with you. Women are so conditioned to just be quiet. And, Mm. you know, quote, we don't want to make our doctor mad at us. And I'm like, this is insane. This is you and your body and your baby. Like, you should be able to do whatever you want to do and have a professional or not that will support you. So this whole not wanting to rock the boat thing has got to go. Yeah, you can say no to anything and you don't have to have anything. Even in the hospital. Yeah, you don't have to have an IV. You don't have to do a Doppler, but women don't know that. No, it's just, it's very much, let's follow the process. Let's do what we're told. Let's go with the flow. And then it spirals out of control because that's, we'll, we'll talk more about interventions, but it's, yeah, the start of the slippery slope. Very much so. Well, on that note, how would you define a natural birth or what does that mean to have an intervention free birth? For me, I'm quite strict about my definition. And <laughs> you'll see that the medical model describes any vaginal birth as a natural birth. Whereas what we see is that over 95% of vaginal births are medicated in some way. So for the most part, it is the third stage or the birth of the placenta that is done with a, what's called a synthetic injection of hormones. And that that's given to women just like that. But for many places still, there's no consent around that. It's just part of the process. And women don't even know what's being given to them. Or they it's just like, oh, we'll just give you this injection now to do this. And they just go, okay. Um, And there's a a fallout from that because that hormone is actually shown to increase your risk of postnatal depression. And it's also the same hormone that's used in induction. So we're seeing that, you know, 95% of women actually aren't having a natural birth because of some level of medicalization. 95%. That is staggering. Mm. And also, I hadn't heard about using Pitocin to get the placenta out that makes no sense when I'm like for most women within an hour or so it would come out anyway like what's the rush there's a lot of fear-mongering around the third stage and because the we'll talk more about the hormonal matrix of birth but as that breaks down it makes the birth of the placenta more dangerous so they want to get the placenta out as quickly as possible to prevent bleeding because they've already caused so much damage they need to stop you know, get the process over with as quickly as possible. And that's why midwives want the placenta out within 10 or 15 minutes. Oh my gosh, 10 or 15 minutes. Mm. And you know, because of that too, uh, with my sister, you know, when she birthed her placenta, our mom was here and she literally didn't know what a placenta was. Like she literally was like, I've never seen one of those in my life. She birthed all of us, obviously at the hospital, but she was like, I literally never even saw it. It was gone and taken away. And I so just many had no women. idea. Yeah. yeah, but I was like, mom, you don't know what a placenta is. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? It's just, again, this thing that's just dealt with. And do they think they're helping by not showing women their placentas and just getting rid of them? And that's actually, you know, your a piece of you that you've grown that's like been with your baby for nine, ten months. And then we just detach the baby and, you know, it's medical waste. Um or who knows what else might be done with it. Mm. So it's, yeah, really important to protect that. And actually that is that is part of the birth process. Birthing the placenta is the climax of the birth process. And that, you know, oxytocin hit when your baby comes helps to release it. And they're, they're trying to emulate that with this injection. But then the fallout from that is, is massive. And we are seeing a, a huge rise in postnatal depression. Yeah. And again, no doctor, I'm sure, tells women, hey, uh, inducing, you know, may be beneficial in this instance for these reasons, but you also need to consent to know your risks of these other things. Nobody does that. And that drives me insane. Mm. Yeah, it's only when you're choosing home birth that they start pointing out the uh, potential risks. Right, right. Which is sad. So then let's go to the opposite side. In interventions, what would you categorize as an intervention if someone's like, I don't even know what that means? And then if you want to share specific risks or just things that women should know about certain interventions. I, I 
I just don't even know where to begin. This is this is a long, <laughs> long list, unfortunately. I'm ready, okay. <laughs> and I would say that an intervention is anything that comes in the way of a natural birth process. So anything that, you know, starts to come, a- come away from those natural hormones or the mother-baby connection. And the first, the first intervention I believe is medical appointments in pregnancy, because these are the start of the separation of the mother baby. So there's this very strong connection that mothers will have had historically. And what we're instead of doing now, we're not trusting women and babies, we are turning to monitoring and measuring in machines. And that is damaging the mother baby connection because instead of the mother saying oh how do I feel today how's my baby they're trusting someone to you know check their blood pressure and they're having ultrasound which is a whole minefield of its own and that's really damaging because actually this is what keeps birth safe is is the mother knowing what's going on with that baby and machines can't actually tell us that much versus what the mother can tell us so I do believe that you know, that at the beginning of the slippery slope is those medical antenatal appointments, which are also coercion. They're the start of the good girl saying yes and going along. And, you know, we, we in the in the UK, we don't have any cervical checks in pregnancy at all. But really? in the US, that's not completely normal. <laughs> yes. What? Yeah, How it's amazing. Be... How is that possible that it's that different? Because over here, they act like it is so important. I'm just like, what? Why are they doing that? How is that useful information in pregnancy? Why? And in fact, it's actually harmful to right. be doing that. Exactly. Um, so I, I, you know, it's just normalized as part of the pregnancy culture in in the US. Um, whereas in Europe and yeah, in the UK, you you never have have a cervical check as part of your pregnancy care. So you, it's I I find it really interesting to compare different countries and their regulations around these normalized procedures because then you start to be like well why like you say why is it one place is like this and another place it's like this so in France they have you know it full term is 41 weeks well not full Mm. term but you know instead of the 40 week mark which we have in the UK 41 weeks is the normal you know where they start to start asking questions so it's a whole week later um, and then in, in the free birth world, we see women birthing at 43, 44 weeks sometimes. And that's also completely normal. Um, so what what are these guidelines and why are they in place? And are they actually there to support women or are they there to get women to say yes to things that they actually don't want or need? And you need to be quite careful when you're attending these appointments and, and see how it feels for you. Something I ask women in my programs how do you feel going to these appointments? Are you leaving those appointments feeling really good and positive and connected with your baby? Or are you coming out feeling fear and something's wrong and all of these, you know, negative feelings coming out of those appointments? Because that that actually is harmful, you know, the cortisol and the stress of all of these sort of fear-mongering stories it's, it's super important to really feel into your intuition before the appointment so that you can actually be like, oh, well, I don't agree with them. I actually think my baby's perfectly well. I don't think there's anything to be worried about. Or if you do feel like something isn't quite right, that you actually know that. And can medical providers trust that you know your body and your baby best and that you can communicate that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's a whole long list of... Um, birth interventions that I know know we've already touched on monitoring which has a very minimal research to support it Um, and what that does to women in birth it's unreal the disturbances that I see in their birth process when with Doppler midwives every 15 minutes are looking for a heartbeat or in the pushing stage it's every five minutes and that's guidelines. And there's not much that women can say when they believe that that is helping them, right? They think that that's supportive, but actually research shows that monitoring doesn't actually improve outcomes. And what it is doing is interfering with their birth process. And doesn't it, isn't it shown to stress the baby as well? 
Yeah, so ultrasound in general is high pitch sound. And we see that during ultrasound, babies move away from the machine and they turn away and, and sometimes, you know, the technician will say, oh, the baby's misbehaving or naughty baby, you know, they'll, they'll make some sort of joke about it. But actually, it's because the baby's uncomfortable and monitoring and Doppler is actually a magnified form of ultrasound. And we're putting that on babies in birth and then we're wondering why their heart rates are changing or they're getting distressed when for hours and hours, some women have these strapped on continuously for, for days and we're subjecting our babies to that. And what also is that going to do to their positioning? If they're, consi- if they're consistently moving away from the monitor, could that put them in non-optimal positions, which then mm-hmm. lead to further interventions like forceps or ventouse? It's It's a minefield. Um, and there's lots of studies as well showing the risks of ultrasound in pregnancy, um, leading to increased risk of miscarriage, leading to developmental issues, um, increased risk of autism and left-handedness, which is, although, you know, it's a variation of normal, it is, there's supposed to be a sort of an amount that is normal. And then we're, we're going beyond that with the more ultrasound that children are given. Mm. So there's, there's lots of studies there around that and, that's what monitoring is it's it's a form of ultrasound so really important to be fully informed on that and again you can turn down ultrasound which a lot of women find difficult to do because it's become such a normal thing that you know when you announce your pregnancy you show an ultrasound picture I'm like it's that's not your baby that's literally like a reflection of your baby can you wait to meet your baby and actually see them in the flesh and how amazing would that be if that's the first time you see your baby right right Mm, yeah and And then then there's sorry I was just going to add with the ultrasound the 3d ultrasounds you know the ones that I think the pictures are kind of creepy looking anyway Mm -hmm. um those are even are right on the FDA's website for everyone listening in the U.S. sharing that there are potential risks they don't even understand so you can you know kind of dismiss like oh they can't be that bad but when the FDA has to be like hey there's you know risks we don't even understand with the 3D ultrasounds and you really shouldn't probably do them uh I feel like that is a pretty significant sign to be cautious Mm, yeah and even in the UK the NHS states not to have more ultrasounds than is medically necessary so don't have Mm -hmm. any for fun and don't, yeah, don't have the 3D ones if it's not medically necessary, which nothing ever is. And again, ultrasounds don't improve birth outcomes. So why are we doing them when they're a potential risk? Yeah, it's like so wild, right? We haven't even talked about like the ones that quote are the big ones, like epidurals and induction and all that. Like we've just talked about the appointments, ultrasound, using a Doppler, like we're touching the tip of the iceberg and already hopefully no one's feeling overwhelmed, (laughs) but like, there's a lot of things. And this is why it's so concerning that women don't even know they have these options. They don't even know the real risks. They are unfortunately showing up, you know, looking for a doctor or a midwife pretty blind, not knowing what their options are. Mm, Yeah. And I think it is important to talk about the antenatal interventions because then it makes it so much easier to say no to the birth interventions because you've already been practicing saying no for many weeks or months before your birth. But there is, yeah, it just gets worse and worse, really. And it's it's not to say, you know, anyone that's made decisions to have an ultrasound or birth in hospital was making, you know, a bad decision. It's what we're presented with. It's what's totally normal in, in culture. And we wouldn't even know, you know, I work when I was working as a doula, I never thought that ultrasound could be harmful. I never would have considered that that was a risk. And then when you go digging, you find out a whole world of information, same with epidural. And you just think, oh, well, it's just numbing, you know, the thing. But then actually that leads to a million and one other problems. And what, you know, birth is, is an active experience. And when we're literally making it so that women can't move how is that how like I just can't even understand how anyone thought that was a good idea and of course that's going to lead to interventions if you're not moving your body 
how is your baby going to come down? How are they going to get into the right position? Birth is truly the most active thing. When you see a woman in birth, she's in all sorts of positions and she's going up and down and she's, you know, rotating and all of these very natural processes. And women in hospital are literally laid on their backs for days and then they're wondering why things aren't progressing or why the baby's not in the right position. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it makes no sense, does it? Yeah. And, you know, I had, you know, suspected that, yeah, an epidural during birth, like you're saying, would be difficult or cause other issues. And then I was reading also that women that have had an epidural also tend to have issues with baby latching because the baby gets the drug as well, which I don't think people talk about. And so now you have, quote, a baby who just can't latch and something's wrong with them. So now you have to just go to a bottle immediately. And again, it's like nobody wants to trace back a couple steps and just say, but why? Mm. What possibly was part of this? And again, there's no judgment, but rather it's just let's understand so we can address it. Mm, Yeah. And it's just that it stated that that's safe, right? It's, it's, it's safe for mother and baby. But what does that actually mean? When we see that studies show that babies who've experienced epidural have an increased chance of becoming drug users down the line, because wow. there's fentanyl in, in epidurals. What? And yeah. Oh, my God. So, you know, you're, we're literally giving women hard drugs, and babies hard drugs. And that's safe, apparently, when studies show otherwise. And women, again, there's no informed consent around this. They have no idea that that's a risk. They just exactly. think, oh, it's, it's, it's going to help me through this process because I'm finding it difficult. And the fact is that when you're in hospital, birth is more painful because you haven't got those good hormones circulating, you haven't got the endorphins in the same way that when you're undisturbed and you're in your private space and you're in darkness, where you can create your own pain relief, which is significantly more powerful than any man-made drug. Right. And especially if you've been, you know, lured into like, well, you need to come get induced because you're 40 weeks and three days, your baby's late, whatever weird thing. Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, I didn't even realize until I went to a birth workshop recently that a couple days prior to when your body is ready to give birth, you do start making oxytocin and your cell receptors begin to prepare for that. And oxytocin is a natural pain reliever. So, you know, especially if you're being induced, <laughs> like you're not even going to have those same ways to work through the pain now and you're also like you just said in an environment that's naturally going to increase stress no wonder women are begging for an epidural and not really in a space where they can even care about the risks because it's all been so distorted yeah the the sabotage is real right from the start and that is yeah it's really really important because when you're given synthetic oxytocin as part of your birth process, your body recognizes that it's there, but it can't cross the blood brain barrier. So your brain actually, it can't get to your brain and your brain doesn't produce it because your body already recognizes that it's there. So you're not actually making any of your own oxytocin once you're having the synthetic oxytocin. So you don't actually get any of that love hormone. You don't actually get any of those good feelings. you you know, although it's in your body, it's not connecting to your brain. So that is, again, hugely damaging to the birth process and to mother baby bonding. And to the fact that birth is a wonderful experience, you know, when when we let it be what it is. Instead, women are, you know, just experiencing negative after negative and all sorts of, you know, further complications as a fallout from this. And like you say, it gets to a point where epidural feels like the only choice. And what is that doing? Because also in, you know, about 10% of women epidural doesn't work at all. And then they're stuck with an artificial induction, which is incredibly painful, because it's not none of it's natural, none of it is what your body wants to be doing. The fact is, your baby's still in for a reason. 
and your by making your body do something, it's going against nature. So why why are we doing this? And of course, your body's going to say no. And that's why so many inductions fail and end up in a C-section, because there's literally mm-hmm. a reason your body is actually keeping your baby safe by keeping them in. And that's a reason why women don't dilate in the hospital, because your body recognizes this isn't a safe environment for your baby to be born. So anyone who's listening or who knows anyone who hasn't dilated in hospital has had a, fail, indu- a failed induction, you know, that's what they call it. It was actually your body being incredibly smart and protecting you and your baby. But in, in medical terminology, you failed. And that's what we're saying to women. You failed to progress. It's your fault. Mm. So, ugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then there's just, again, other normalized procedures like cervical checks, or in the UK, we call them vaginal exams, where random strangers are putting their hands in your vagina. Why, like, how is this okay? How is that helping anyone when what you need is privacy and darkness and safety and to be away from strangers? let alone putting their hands inside your most sacred places and how is that okay you know that's from a mental perspective we can already see that that makes no sense when would that ever be okay in another situation that is literally a sexual abuse right and a lot of the time there isn't real consent around that they're like oh i'm just going to do this and then they do it and that's not seeking consent and then there's a whole you know in terms of infection risk and risks of bleeding and potentially breaking the waters by accident there's you know a whole other cascade that could come from a so-called innocent vaginal exam or that that's necessary to tell you anything because actually dilation is no like it it can literally tell you nothing it can tell you your baby's going to be born tomorrow or it's going to be born in five minutes because women are different women don't all dilate to this supposed clock Yeah, I was just going to say that I had never heard that until the account Pain-Free Birth, which I love, posted that. And yeah, she was saying how checking to see how dilated you are really can be more problematic because like you said, you could be at a four and in an hour be a 10. Like there's no rhyme or reason really to how your body does it. Well, there is, but it's not a sensical one like that they can follow like, oh, you'll probably give birth in nine hours. And then also she was sharing, it's really deflating to a mom who may be feeling really tired and they've been, you know, in the birth process for a while. And then to be told, oh, you're only a three can completely shut down the birth process because now you're like, oh, great, I have hours to go. So now it's messing with your psychology and how you even feel you can trust your body. So, so wild. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, so, so damaging because actually the cervix is a responsive place and you know women who have developed a relationship with their cervix will know that it responds and it moves and it changes over your over the course of your cycle and in pregnancy and in birth and actually it can retract so women actually might be quite far on in in their process and then actually someone puts a hand there and it closes up because that's what the cervix is designed to do it's literally designed to keep your baby safe so actually women go backwards through these so-called checks. Um, So yeah, it's just really, really important that women are informed and that, like you say, that number doesn't mean anything and don't let it get you down. If, if you're, for whatever reason, you've said yes to to that measurement, Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean anything. And also (laughs) different people measure dilation differently so one midwife might say three one midwife might say five one midwife might say seven and depending on who you're comfortable with in your space you might be at seven versus a midwife that you don't get on with where you're three because you're not going to want to give birth to someone you don't feel comfortable around or a doctor or random whoever's in the room yep yep exactly Mm. um i know when i shared that i was going to have a home birth on my Instagram, I have the best community. So I was so grateful. There was not a single person who was like, that is so reckless. (laughs) But instead there were, you know, genuine questions like, oh, well, like what what would you do if there's an emergency? And, you know, even my own mother 
who like my sisters had four of these. You'd think she'd be warmed up to biological birth, but you know, she's a mom. She's just looking out for her kids. Um, and I think this is why what we're talking about is so key because when we at, talk about an emergency, is it really something random that came out of the blue, like some hemorrhaging after birth or something, or was it caused by something else we did? That's the big question. So when, like we're saying, the emergency even is hemorrhaging after birth, well, were we induced? Because that can increase that risk. And yeah, I mean, you can share more about that if you want, but you know, that's the million dollar question everyone wants to ask is what about an emergency? And I think the vast majority of the time, there are no emergencies when birth is biological. The emergencies happen when we start messing with things that we didn't know the risks of. Yes, that's it. That's exactly. It's not supposed to be messed with. (laughs) And by messing with it, we've caused a whole load of problems that then the system is trying to fix. And the system has got so far away from trusting birth that they they can't and they have to do things because they don't know there's another way. And we all, we all have grown to believe that that's how it is. So we, again, are going along with these things. But the fact is when birth is undisturbed, it is perfect and it, ha- it happens. But we also have to let go of our fears and our beliefs. And we really have to unlearn many, many things. And we have to fully go there into the anxiety and into the fear and into the pain and into everything to allow ourselves to give birth undisturbed because it's it's literally go we're having to go against a lifetime of indoctrination around what birth is and what it looks like so it's actually there's there's only really started to be a questioning about this in the in the last couple of decades really like research being done people starting to realize actually (laughs) this doesn't really make sense in a big free birthing community growing and work of women like Sarah Buckley who talk about the the hormonal matrix and that is it's vital that we keep the hormonal matrix of birth safe so that birth can be safe and nothing in the hospital respects the hormonal matrix of birth they literally break the hormonal matrix as soon as you leave the house that's the first intervention and oxytocin starting to go down adrenaline starting to go up and that just continues throughout the birth process and then they keep doing more and more and more and apparently have saved your life and saved your baby's life when actually they they damaged your entire birth process just through very simple things just through leaving the house sitting in the car going to the hospital seeing a stranger then the whole rigmarole of hospital birth on top of that it is yeah emergency birth and hospital causes emergencies and we need to be honest about that and hemorrhage is absolutely one of those things because that we don't see that happening at home birth it's i think it's 30 you're 30 percent less likely to have a postpartum hemorrhage at home that's with a medical midwife present and also that bleeding after birth is natural and normal and some women bleed a lot and some women bleed little. And actually that's totally normal. When women are given this synthetic injection of hormones, they experience a much slower bleeding postpartum over many weeks versus someone who might have a, you know, a lot of blood and then it's over within a couple of weeks, their postpartum bleeding. And that's perfectly okay. And our blood volume doubles in pregnancy and that blood has to go somewhere. So actually, is it hemorrhage or is it actually just normal bleeding? So about 500 ml is classed as a postpartum hemorrhage in the UK. When that's what you go to give blood, you donate 500 ml. We would never say, oh, she had a hemorrhage when she donated blood. Hmm. So why are we pathologizing completely normal things? Um, It's, yeah, just Mm -hmm. the sabotage is real. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And on that note, I think it's really empowering whether you have a provider that you really, really trust, or you want to be the one that's informed there in the rare instances, there are literally quotes, emergencies that are happening. It's so empowering to know what to look for. So for example, when I took a birth class, we learned how to resuscitate if a baby does come out, that's not breathing. 
And it was so much simpler than I thought. And the midwife shared about all the instances that's happened and that the babies come back. And then yesterday I was talking to my friend who's a midwife who was sharing, you know, how to determine if a baby, say, in a rare, rare instance was born with pneumonia or the sac had been infected. And what are the signs of a baby that's truly ill and would need to be taken to the hospital immediately, you know? And I thought that was so empowering to, again, have that opportunity to really know what to do in, again, those rare, rare, real emergencies. Like, to me, I'm just, like, buzzing with this random knowledge that I have now. Of like, wow, I really feel prepared no matter what. Even in that rare chance something does go wrong, I can resuscitate my baby. Or I will know when the time to go to a real, a real hospital it would be. Um, like, to me, that's empowerment as a mama. Or if you don't really care about that stuff, you could have someone on your team who you know thinks the way that you do and would be able to support you in those rare moments. Yeah, I do think knowledge is power. And again, that's something that systems don't want us to have. They don't want us to think we can take responsibility for ourselves and our children. They would rather that we rely on them and they make a lot of money from us relying on them and not knowing what's best for us and going to them for advice and them telling us what to do with our bodies. And there's, yeah, whole, whole, you know, structures in place that have been built over many, many years. And, and by actually us, us doing this work, we're starting to break some of those structures about what, what is possible and what, what it means to take responsibility. And that is, is incredibly empowering when like you say, you, you've you've done the research, and why should I think everyone should know how to resus their their child? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I say to clients, you know, go go for your first aid class because that's taking responsibility. You know, who knows what might happen? And I'm I'm grateful that I have this knowledge to be able to support anyone if if they need help. Um, you know, in the street, not not just in birth. And that is that's taking responsibility as as a society is actually having some level of basic knowledge around some of these things and actually that women know when something isn't right you know they can tell by looking at their baby or they can tell by a certain pain or for many women in in pregnancy they'll already start to have signs that something isn't quite right um and can we can we trust that exactly it's so empowering and it just gives Mm -hmm. you more just awe for our bodies and babies and birth and yeah, when you can feel like you can trust your judgment and your knowledge base, it is a crazy cool feeling. <laughs> yeah, it's this mother's instinct. There's uh-huh. just nothing like it. And that's something the medical providers can never have. And actually, they benefit from you not having it. So you need to hone that in because that is what keeps you and your baby and your child, you know, as they grow up safe is following those instincts what does it feel like and a lot of the work that I do with women is getting them back to that intuition because we've been led so far astray from actually our inner knowing like what what are we feeling in our bodies about things instead of it all just being logical because that's not really how mothering works it is a very full body experience and we need to connect with our heart and our gut we can't just connect with our headspace so how can we get get back to trusting that i wanted to ask you um you know people get so caught up in all the stuff for whether it's your hospital bag or stuff for baby or i don't know there's so much random crap (laughs) that is marketed to women through these phases of life and i wanted to ask your personal opinion what things are actually worthwhile investing in to support us through pregnancy birth and postpartum yeah just amazing isn't it how how the stuff has been marketed and it's apparently going to fix everything and make us have the birth that we want or make mothering easy. And is it true? And in pregnancy, I really see that what is important is time connecting with your body and your baby. And maybe that's movement class, maybe that's time in nature, meditation, you know, journaling, doing the work of of pregnancy, which is surrendering to the mystery of it it all. And I do see our women that don't take pregnancy tests, women that don't do ultrasounds, 
have to go much deeper into this work, not finding out the sex of your baby, for example. Can you go there? Can you fully go into the, you know, women's mysteries, which how many mysteries are there in life these days that we can just explore? I do see I do see that that is that's re- a really important part of, of birth preparation as well as well as education. So you mentioned going to classes and finding someone you connect with and relate to that you want to learn from and not in a way that they are an expert, but in a way that they encourage you to find out what's best for you. And, you know, they might, yes, teach you about the hormones of birth or stages of birth, but actually giving you tools so that you can find things out for yourself and and learn, you know, what feels good in your body. Um, I do see that investment into working with, with a practitioner or, um, doing something like my a group coaching program makes a huge difference to how women give birth. We have we have a ninety four percent natural birth rate on my course versus wow. Wow. what we see in the UK average is about thirty percent for first time mothers. So, and that's you know that's not including the uh, synthetic um, hormone injections and things where, which my women don't have, but the thirty percent are still claiming in in the mainstream model. So, yeah, it's really, really important to invest into your time and your education. And I think also women do the education piece a little bit too late. I think actually it would be best done pre-pregnancy so that you are fully armed and informed. So anyone listening right now who is pre-pregnancy, well done for being in. I know we've been already talking for ages, um, but this is important, actually. And I do see also menstrual cycle awareness is a huge part of pregnancy preparation, getting to know your body and understanding the nature of, of being a woman is all part of this work. And actually, it's I, th- I do think it's a little bit of a mistake to, to those women who say, oh, I'm not far enough along in my pregnancy to be doing my birth education classes. Please do them as soon as you can, because then you can start to integrate all of this amazing knowledge and you can start to live actually you know what you learn you can start practicing you can start connecting and you can fully understand your options whereas if you're doing that in the third trimester it's not too late but it's good to do it as soon as you can um yeah really really important to invest both time and money into your pregnancy whatever that looks like for you um in terms of education and also i love it when people find alternative prenatal care you know not medical appointments but yoga classes and acupuncture and homeopathy and women's circles and what can what what do you want your prenatal care to look like it can be so enriching to you know have a wise woman guide to do some shamanic work um to explore your sexuality there's there's so much there that you have this opportunity before being a mother what what is it that you really really want to learn or know about your body it's such a, this is such a time to do that. And all, whatever you're being called to in pregnancy are messages from your baby of what, what they need so that you can be the mother that they need. It's, yeah, just see women really who, who connect with this really go a long way with it, the birth experience that they want. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, can you, can you fully go there in your pregnancy? Go, you know, go deep. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's not really about the stuff, is it? Yeah, I don't I don't see it about the stuff at all. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned the women's circles because prenatal women's circles for me have been literally the most nourishing thing for me, especially because I moved in my early pregnancy. So moved to an area where didn't really have community. And it was really important to me to have that village um, for, you know, later on when I'm very, very pregnant or, or moving through those postpartum days. So just getting to meet other pregnant women and getting to go to their blessing ways and getting to go and be part of their meal trains for their postpartum days and just getting to love on other mamas and have that reassurance and, and confidence that like, wow, I'm going to have such a great village of women to support me too, I think Mm. is so understated. Yeah, absolutely. Women support, sisterhood support is so important and like you say walking with other women in their pregnancies especially if you're making different choices and I do see that in my in my group program 
a sisterhood element because it can it can feel quite isolating to make some of these choices. You know, we, it's not we're not the average person, are we? And most people will think we're a little bit crazy for <laughs> questioning any of this. So when when you find your women that you can relate to, and you're like, oh, actually, I'm learning from her. She's learning from me. Like you say, you walk with each other and you witness her birth and her postpartum. You see breastfeeding. You know, this is all part of what we would have seen in the village. We would have had the support and women would have been pregnant and birthing at home all the time. And now we have to seek that out. And yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you found that support in your new community. Yeah, thank you. It's vital. And it makes me sad how many women have shared with me online just, you know, how alone they felt postpartum and they had no one. And, um, you know, people want to come by and like pat the baby on the head, but nobody's there to help her. No one cares if she's eating. Nobody's doing her dishes. Nobody's Mm -hmm. asking how they can help her. And I think that's like my last big question for you is healing postpartum, both what that can look like if you honor the 40 day postpartum window or, or what your thoughts are on that, but also what we can do for other women that are in this postpartum phase to be part of the change and part of that ripple effect to change how we care for women post baby. Yes. I think postpartum is something that people really don't prepare for at all. There's all of this birth preparation and actually postpartum is this ongoing experience and how we experience it can actually influence the rest of our lives. So what can we do to support ourselves? And it's, it's another time that women, I think, fall prey to the stuff and they're buying all the prams and, you know, they're decorating the nursery and putting in a cot and, you know, baby changing tape, all of these things that really babies don't need and mothers don't need. What, what a mother needs is the support to be able to be with her baby, to just be skin to skin for days and weeks. And what, how can you make that a reality? What support do you need in terms of nutrition or household help or emotional support, community? This is an important part of the birth preparation work, really, is, is calling in that village who you know and trust and under, they can support you in a way that you want to be supported because, like you say, it's not supportive. For someone to just say, oh, I'll, I'll hold the baby um, and you go take a shower and then they, you know, make a mess in your house and eat your food and then they leave... And you're just like, what just happened? Um, that's that's not support. And sadly, it's it seems to have been forgotten in our culture how to support a woman postpartum. And it's turned into a whole other thing. And how, you know, you have to be very clear about what you need. And I do say to women, you know, make a list and put it on the fridge of what, what help you actually need. So that when visitors come, you can say, oh, can you do one of the jobs on the fridge? Choose the one that you, you like the best, you know, if it's vacuuming or... Um, doing the dishes or I cleaning the toilet that. whatever that is yeah so that then because guests also find it quite hard to know what to do some of them you know some if you've got someone who is like a doula someone like me who always sees the next thing that needs done and is always pottering around cleaning everything great but for most people they need some direction <laughs> yeah. and I always say always take out the bin whenever I visit any postpartum mother I'm always taking out the bin because that's like always going to lead to arguments with two tired new parents, he hasn't taken out the family. Totally. You're just saving marriages over there. <laughs> yeah, and I just think breastfeeding support is also highly underestimated because we haven't seen hundreds of women breastfeeding, the average person. We we haven't seen all the positions and the challenges and how, you know, how to latch baby and do all these things. And baby also hasn't doesn't know how to do any of these things straight away they they're learning with you so when you have a new a mother that's new to breastfeeding and a baby that's new to breastfeeding you need support from someone who knows about breastfeeding and the likelihood is this person isn't in your community because breastfeeding rates are so incredibly low and our mothers and even our grandmothers didn't breastfeed because formula had already become so advertised and women's support was already crumbling so I always say invest in a lactation consultant, someone who specializes in breastfeeding, not just, you know, a doula, go one step further if you can to someone who's very specialized. So lactation consultants have hundreds of hours of training just in breastfeeding, which a midwife won't have. So it's really, really important to prioritize that. And I do do think it's underestimated 
that there will might may be breastfeeding challenges and even if your breastfeeding is going great they can still offer you tips on how to make it even better so are you able to invest in that can you spend a few hundred dollars on your on your journey on support versus a pram or a cot or some of these things do do we even really need those things or are they actually encouraging mother baby separation because what we would have seen in the village is that instead of prams everyone held our baby for us so we could go do other things and now we have to find places to put our baby because we're just isolated in our homes can we live more in community can we have women coming over to our houses and living and and batch meal prepping and you know doing all these things together and helping with each other's babies and we just need to society really needs to change quite quite a lot to support new mothers actually there's so much isolation and it's not again it's not surprising that postnatal depression rates are where they are at because new mothers are, are truly alone for for a lot of the time and that's not how it should be I, th- I really think that we deserve to have supported people around us continuously mm-hmm. yeah it breaks my heart that so many women felt so alone like that's a norm that I hear from almost everyone I know that's had kids which is yeah your partner goes back to work and, and then I, I can't even imagine if you're a new mom, plus you've got one or two other little tiny kids running around. Like, I don't know how you could not be depressed and feel just so much grief. Yeah. And it's just, it's a lot of pressure for two people, you know, looking after this new tiny baby. It's, it's not supposed to be something we do just with our partner. It's supposed to be something we do with our entire community. So how can you call in that community in your pregnancy or postpartum and say, look, we, we don't want to do this alone, actually. We'd love for you to be involved. I'd love for you to come over more if you have availability um, to support me. And actually, people feel quite honoured, I think, when you explicitly say, I want you to support me in this special time of my life. You know, it's a real honour when, when people say, will you be my bridesmaid or, you know, my best man? That's huge and this is even bigger than that so can can we support people in their pregnancies and births like we support people with their engagements and weddings yeah that's a really good comparison (laughs) and one definitely needs way more support than like planning a party or (laughs) whatever (laughs) yeah such great thoughts um wow we've talked about so many different things today and I hope everyone listening really received something from this or something just to ponder or consider. And hopefully if something triggered you or made you kind of annoyed or angry or anything like that, it's valid. And also I hope you'll sit with it and see why it's bothering you or what about it isn't sitting right. Because like Saima and I said at the beginning, just none of us have learned these things. And so depending on your background, all of this could have been brand new and kind of intense to hear about at least that's also how it felt for me when I began to learn about all this too but Simon is there any last words of wisdom you'd share to a mama who perhaps has been you know taught that the medical model is the only way and if you don't do that oh my gosh you're reckless and your mom will think you're crazy and (laughs) all the things what would you say to that woman to help her trust herself yeah, I'm seeing I'm seeing you, Mama. That you're listening now and feeling those things. And please know that your body is perfect and your baby is perfect and you know exactly what to do. And the more that you feel into that, the stronger you will feel in making the decisions that feel right for both of you. And know that that is important and just exactly what it should be, whatever that calling is. Um, there's no right or wrongs in, in this um, discussion. It's, it's a case that you really feel into, into your whole body, yes, and grow that trust and know that you're, you're perfectly designed to give birth. And, and w- you know, women after women, generation after generation, up until a couple of generations ago, we're all here because birth works. And actually doing this work now in setting your boundaries and saying what you want to those people around you is practice for mothering. You will have to be saying your no constantly. You know, if you're making different decisions with parenting, 
you're going to have to do that then. So what an amazing opportunity to do that now and have the pregnancy and birth that you want that is in peace and power rather than in fear. It's an amazing opportunity that you have to do this work. And by doing this work, you are changing birth and mothering for women everywhere. Because when one woman makes this choice, other women see it and see, wow, I could do that too. So you get to be a lighthouse in your community. And as time goes on, women will see you as the wise woman and come to you and be like, how did how did you move away from some of these belief systems? So I do I do believe each each one of us can can go and do some of this work and set our children up for their births in power and their optimal health. Because when when a baby is born naturally in their home environment, so know that you are making the decisions that are right for you. And that is what is most important. Beautifully said. Mm. Thank you so much, Saima, for joining me today. And yeah, if you can share where everyone can find you, connect with you, learn about your group programs. Yes, I'd love for you to come say hi to me on Instagram. I'm at livewildbirthfree. My website is livewildbirthfree.com. I run a group program several times a year where I teach over 10 weeks all about wild pregnancy and natural birth and wild mothering. And yeah, it's just amazing to see the women that come come in and we all constantly learn from each other and get to witness each other and hear amazing birth stories. And there is an incredible um, 94% natural birth rate, which is pretty unheard of, um, sadly, but in, in time, I believe that will, that's where we're going with, with all of this. And yeah, hit me up in my DMs if you have any questions. I yeah, can't wait to hear from you. I also have um, a free download so you can come find some of my little herbal tips and tricks around natural birth and, and while pregnancy. So I look forward to yeah, speaking with you. Thank you, Cassandra, for having me here. My pleasure. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> like my people, I found someone like me. <laughs> yes. So thank you for being you, for sharing what you do. And your Instagram's incredible. That's how I found you when I first got pregnant and was like, I need to find people that think outside the box. And you were one of the first accounts that I found and just fell in love with. So thank you for joining me today. And my friends, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it to your Instagram. You can tag Saima and I on Instagram. And otherwise, we will see you here next week. Thank you so much for tuning into the Cyclical Podcast today. The best way you can support the show is by rating and reviewing the Cyclical Podcast on iTunes. It also means so much when you share this on Instagram and tag me. It helps me see what episodes really, really resonated and just keep the goodness coming. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you here next week.